Who here remembers what we've been studying? First Corinthians, right? We're going to do Second Corinthians as soon as we finish First Corinthians, and then after Second Corinthians, we're going to do Thessalonians. We're excited about all that. So last week we talked about uh, charismata, the nine different things, and we're going to talk a little bit more. Uh, we're going to break some things down a little bit, as I promised last time we were together. The whole subject of the charismata is very controversial within the body of the Messiah these days, and Jewish believers often seem to find themselves in the thick of the argument. Because of this, it seems wise to devote some space to giving it giving its broad outlines. There are four fairly distinct positions. Thank you very much. Number one, narrow charismatics. Remember last week we talked about the, not last week, but like 152 weeks ago when we met last, um, last year, well, a year ago, uh, the, the different uh, gifts, we talked about those, we're going we're gonna to narrow some stuff down, but I think it's important to know and to identify, you know, who are we talking about here that are spouting off? Who's, who's saying these things? Who's making these decisions as to what is what? Number one is narrow charismatics. These hold to the, and, and, and if you find yourself in this group, you don't have to raise your hand, you don't have to say, yeah, that's me, you know, you know who you are, and, and it's okay. You can you be who you are. That's that's what matters is that you're you know what you believe and why you believe it. Narrow charismatics. These hold to hold that there is an experience known as immersion, baptism in the Holy Spirit, which is available to all believers, and sometimes is a distinct experience subsequent to salvation, the necessary and sufficient sign or evidence that a believer has had this experience is that he has he or she has spoken in tongues in extreme cases these regard non-charismatics and anti-charismatics as second-class Christians or even as non-believers you know of groups of people all of us can bob our head and know of groups of people that say unless you've spoken in tongues unless you you can't say you've been baptized in the holy spirit if you've never spoken in tongues, if that's never happened to you. There's a group that says that. Look, you're not saved. Then there is, number two, broad charismatics. Same as number one, but have spoken in tongues. Having spoken in tongues is neither necessary nor sufficient as a sign of being immersed in the Spirit. The emphasis more in this is more on the fact that the charismata are for the present day in contrast with position four we're going to talk about in a second. These are generally tolerant of non-charismatics and receive them in love. Broad charismatics. So we've got, the, we've got the narrow charismatics and the broad charismatics. Then there's the non-charismatics. These range from those whose viewpoint is the same as uh, the, the broad charismatics, but who have not personally received any of the charismata to those who think position number two or broad charismatic is mistaken, but receive charismatics in a spirit of tolerance and love as brothers who may in fact be right. Hey, it hasn't happened to me. I'm not saying it isn't real. Bless you. I'm not saying it isn't real. I'm not saying it isn't true. It just hasn't happened to me. Love you, brother. Wish I could get some of what you got. Then number four is the anti-charismatic. And you may be in this group. You may be. Some of you in here may be in that group. These believe that the charismatics are wrong. That the charismata ceased in the first century for the perfect, understood to now to be the canon of the New Testament, has replaced the partial. In extreme cases, these regard charismatics as second-class Christians or even as non-believers. So, how many in the room, you can raise your hand for this if you want to, uh, you don't have to, how many in the room believe that the Lord still does miracles today? How many believe that He works in the supernatural? Let me just tell you a quick thing. I'm going to help answer this for you. That's the only way the Lord works is in the supernatural because He is what? Supernatural. So we, in our infinite wisdom, trying to recreate God in our own image, we apply this matrix of believability to stuff that God does, and we say, 
well, you know, he, he's a God of order. He's not a God of chaos. He's not blah, blah, blah. It's always understanding. Do, we'll apply that to the Bible. And if we look at things that happen in the Bible, can we actually understand how the flood happened? No. Can we actually understand how the splitting of the Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea happened? No. No. Uh, you know, raising people from dead, uh, giving sight to the obviously blind. Uh, you, you know, all of these things, some of the, the, the victories in battle, I mean, it's supernatural. That's the way he works because he is the supernatural. We're the natural. You know, we, we take the natural. He doesn't work in the natural. So, so when we say, when we kind of huff a little bit and say, well, you know, I don't believe the Lord works that way. I believe he works in the natural. Newsflash, he doesn't work in the natural because the natural world, he created the natural world, but he is supernatural. So everything he does is supernatural. Can he move natural things to be uh, something other than what we would look at as normal human beings, stuff we can't explain? Can he do those things? Can he, then it becomes what? Supernatural. At that point, it is supernatural. So I, I think it's important to keep that in the back of our head. Those who oppose charismatics often believe they rely too much, the charismatics rely too much on subjective experience. The objection is understandable since charismatics who believe they have had a genuine experience with the Holy Spirit would certainly be expected to take that experience seriously. On the other hand, it is possible for the anti-charismatics to be influenced unduly by their own negative experiences with overzealous charismatics so that they end up throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Let me address that. You don't have to say if this is you or not because there probably is in the group this size, there probably is at least one who feels that way. On the other hand, it is possible for anti-charismatics to be influenced unduly by their own negative experiences with overzealous charismatics so that they end up throwing the baby out with the bathwater. They make their decision because they're ticked off at the overzealous charismatic. You're welcome. Have you ever been exposed to somebody that you just wanted to, they were a charismatic and you just needed to take a shower afterwards? You just felt like smarmy, a little smarmy. Right? You ever have that? Who in here uh, has ever listened to James Brown? Ow! Godfather soul. Anybody? Come on, y'all. James Brown? Godfather? I feel good. Da -na 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 -na. I knew that I would now. For real. You've never... I, th I thought all the hands would be up. Black guy? But the thing is, is most people don't know his story. Seventh, I think seventh grade education, uh, raised in a horrible existence, raised basically by prostitutes uh, because his mother abandoned him to become, guess what, a prostitute because her, his father beat on his mother and rejected them. They lived in a shack with no windows out in the middle of the woods, saw lynchings and, I mean, it was a horrible childhood. The guy had a horrible childhood. Stuff he saw, the stuff he experienced, just absolutely horrible. But a powerful experience that he had was he heard the sounds of a preacher, of a Pentecostal preacher. Uh, he could hear it coming through the woods. So he walked through the woods as a little boy and saw these people playing instruments, going around, praising God, calling down the Holy Spirit. And he went in the midst of them and it was a profound experience. You, could, you might say it changed his life, not totally and completely, because when he died, he was a drug addict uh, and many other things. But let's face it, he did some pretty great things. Changed music forever, you know, especially popular music for sure. Uh, his experience was two things. One, it was a profound experience because he heard music that matched a feeling. And that was encouraged. It lifted him up. He didn't know why. He didn't know the why behind what he was feeling, but he knew he was feeling something he hadn't felt before. But he also was profoundly impacted by it because 
The preacher, air quotes, in his light blue suit, suit of clothes, was such a smarmy, snake-shaking, give your money, you poor sharecroppers, so I can go on and proclaim the gospel, when in fact the real reason was so he could live in this finery that he has. Keep him in his level, standard of living. You might say he had two experiences, one positive, one negative. Many of us have been around people who believe they speak in tongues. They believe that they've, they've had a powerful bathing in the Holy Spirit. And that has manifested through tongues. We're talking about tongues here more than anything at this point because there's a point to it. I'll get to it. Because Paul was dealing with this, the Apostle Paul. So what happens when you bump up against somebody who you look at and you're like, I just don't feel like I can believe this person. They're inauthentic to me. And then you bump up against somebody who you can believe. You just feel, you know, whatever, the way that they present themselves that you can believe. You believe they're authentic. You believe they're they're real. You look at them, you go, well, if it's going to happen to anybody, it's going to happen to them. I believe that. Anybody have that experience? It's okay. Yeah, yeah, bob your head. That's all right. As might be expected, each group stresses the verses of Scripture which support its case and offers harmonious explanations of verses that raise difficulties. All four positions have able spokesmen. It says spokesmen here, but spokespeople. Who will generally agree that sometimes the emotions stimulated by the debate are not gifts of the Spirit. Dr. Dennis Fry, uh, he is the esteemed founder and president of Masters uh, International, used used to be Masters Divinity School. Uh, He wrote a, a great book, and it talks about the whipped up emotionalism that accompanies some things. There are larger churches that, are, that have commissioned studies, not among Christian study you know, people, psychologists and otherwise, but among just secular, to examine what type of music, what type of beat, what type of instrument, what type of lighting, what colors, uh, what, what order, what length of song, what, what length of sermon, where they need to enter the sanctuary? Uh, does, the, does the stage need to be up high? Does the preacher need to come down among the people? All of these things, they've commissioned huge studies, very expensive studies, to see, ostensibly because they want to reach more people with the gospel. They want to be effective. Parts of those studies simply point to how do we get that emotion to be pliable, manipulatable, malleable, like clay. How do we get them to that point where we can make them go in any direction we want? Have you ever been in a church service where you felt like you were the subject of said study? Just the way things went. I talk about it in my book. And in the book, um, I cite the differences between, and I I say very clearly and repeatedly, look, I'm not anti-large church and I'm not anti-small church. Great things have happened in small churches. Great things have happened in large churches. It's, It's absolutely a fact. The size of the church doesn't really impact that. But the modern church, the Western Evangelical Church now is so geared toward the emotional experience, that whipped up emotionalism, that what happens when somebody goes to a church maybe for the sixth, eighth time, or maybe the hundredth and sixth time, and they don't feel it. They don't feel it. Maybe their emotions are somewhere else. Maybe they're not feeling well. Maybe they have a sinus infection. Maybe they're not hearing things. Maybe the beat's not getting through. Maybe they're tired from from the, the night before who knows? Maybe they work shift work, whatever. They've got a lot on their mind. But they don't, they come out of the, the, the worship, uh, they come out of the, the church service and they say, I just didn't feel it today. 
I didn't feel the Holy Spirit today. Then the inverse is when you're in there, and boy, they play every praise song just exactly how you like. They pray, they play it at the volume you like, and you're in a place where you receive it right into your spirit. I've been there in a little church in Marysville, Ohio. I've told you about it. Steve and Colleen, Steve was the pastor and a mechanic by trade. And I'm telling you, on a snowy, snowy, freezing cold Ohio night, walked into a place and heard a girl named Gina up in front of the, the praise group singing. And it was like I was in heaven. Literally like I was in heaven. I was transported to another place. Nothing fancy, no fancy lights, no fancy building right next to a liquor store. There you go. The spirits. Felt the Holy Spirits. Yeah, stop there first. But these are regular farm people. There was a guy there, I kid you not. There are witnesses in the room that will absolutely corroborate this. Guy there married to a beautiful, beautiful young woman. And he raised his hands in praise, except he didn't have any hands. He had a prosthesis from, from his shoulder down with hooks articulating hooks. He was raising his hooks, praising God. Lost. Lost in the immersion of praise and worship. And then right after that, this is how I know it was real, right after that, there was prayer time such that I've never experienced before in my life. There wasn't anybody, or as they say out in the country, there weren't nobody looking at their watch including the pastor. Nobody. They broke into groups of prayer and they gathered around and some of the people were going through the hardest things. You could see, man, they're going through something. And they, they prayed like their lives depended on it. They prayed in the Spirit. And then came time for the pastor to preach and there wasn't some big major Okay, this is over. Now we move into this. Okay, this is over. Now we're moving into this. It flowed seamlessly. I'd say it was a fluke if I didn't experience it Sunday after Sunday, or Saturday after Saturday after Saturday. So you can't say that there's not that kind of worship experience, air quotes, out there. You can't say it because it's just not factual. Sometimes you find yourself in a place. Now, let me say, there probably have been times in your life where you've been in a church that was kind of smarmy, little production-y, little, you know, they've got a production person and everything is exactly how it is and everything's in its place and there's timers and, you know, there's people... To, Directors talking in the people's earpiece and everything, just you, you know, you just can see it. And yet the Holy Spirit moves in you. Even still, you know it. And then I bet some of you have been in a church, little church, no technology. They had acoustic instruments, there was no microphones. Preacher had to preach loud because there was no amplification of his voice. They didn't have some fancy heating and air system. They didn't have fancy seats. Nothing was comfortable. You had the fan left over from the last funeral that was held in the church. And yet, and there was nothing fancy about what they were doing. Singers weren't incredible. You know, maybe even the preaching wasn't incredible. There weren't a bunch of stories. He just preached the gospel. He preached the Bible. And you felt the Holy Spirit in you. Anybody ever have that happen? Sure. It's happened. It's happened. Since the charismatic issue is not specifically Jewish, this is David Stern speaking, I will not develop further the cases for or against the above positions except to observe that if Jews ask for signs... The question of the charismata may be significant in Jewish evangelism. What do most Jews never do? Evangelize. 
Why? Why do you not hear about Jewish evangelism? By the way, Israel is welcoming tens of thousands of Jews from France, fleeing France, this week. Tens of thousands. Bibi Netanyahu said, we welcome you. You will be loved. Welcome home. He was in France. Our president wasn't, but he was. Holder was in France. Holder is in France, but he didn't participate in any of the, any of anything. Yeah, nice. Good guy. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yes, ma'am. No. Most of them don't have any connection there except for what they call, um, uh, that's a good question. Say it again louder. The same that they've done for the last 60 years. They've taken any Jew who says, I want to come home. Then they take them and they love them. It's the darnest thing I've ever seen. Believers have an organismic, boy, don't say that word wrong, organismic unity like that of a body. Indeed, there are parts of a body, the body of the Messiah. Therefore, all members of the Messiah's body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, have their places determined, hear me on this, determined by God and have appropriate functions or ministries which they should find and develop, trusting God for empowerment by the Holy Spirit. They should appreciate, not envy, others' ministries and gifts. The purpose of the gifts is not self-aggrandizement, but building up the whole body in love. What do we find nowadays? Come check me out. Look what I can do. You can see it happening. There's one particular young lady, uh, the lady in the back will know who I'm talking about. I won't say her name. Uh, that I saw as a little kid, a little kid singing in the choir at a local Christian academy. I think she was in sixth or eighth grade, and man, was she singing. She was taller than everybody else, and, and she was singing out. You could hear her above everybody, and she was singing with the voice of an angel. And I thought, wow, woof, this child is, woof. And over the years, I got exposed to her on a closer, closer level and watched over the years, and that refinement of the presentation of I'm about ministry got more and more refined, and you started to see a, a sort of a culture uh, being created around this person eventually being a front person for bands and worship teams and things like that. That was the goal. That was the goal. You could see the facade of authenticity, of worship, start to fade away as the recognition started to climb. And it was sad to see. That happens a lot with stars. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. Uh, I've said this a million times. I'm nobody special. I'm not famous. I've, I'm just, you know, a regular dude. And I can tell you that there was one of the greatest courses at Masters, uh, my seminary, is uh, the issue power the issue of leadership. Something along those lines. It's the name of a course. The corrupting power of power in leadership. The supernatural blessing sometimes properly wielded of power in leadership. And it applies to pastors. The reason why they teach us this course is if it, we, we've got several graduates, many graduates who are pastors of churches with that guy in Evansville has 17,000 people attend every single Sunday. Graduate, he's an alum. And yet he's the most humble guy you ever want to meet. And it's because he was immersed in these classes that just tell him, hey, don't get full of yourself, pal. Don't get full of yourself. Because after a while, you're going to start hearing people 
deal with you a certain way, and they're going to treat you a certain way, and you're going to become addicted to that feeling of, yeah, I'm somebody. You're going to perfect the art of false humility, but you're going to fall in love with that, and that's going to trip you up. Because after a while, it's like a drug addiction. You're going to start to want to get that again and again. And then the inverse of that is if somebody doesn't give that to you, you're highly offended. Highly offended. Self-aggrandizement. The gift from God, the gifts from God are not about that, but building up the whole body in love. Many of you heard me talk about the issue of Jewish equality within the Christian followers of the way and the Jews. I've amplified that. How many remember? I, I talk about that a, a pretty fair amount. It's important to talk about because you have to understand that when all this was happening, th there really weren't two groups of people, Jews and non-Jews. Yes, there were. I mean, you could, you could take a macro 10,000-foot view and say, well, there were some that were Jews and some that weren't Jews. Some that weren't Jews, the Gentiles, came to a, a belief in the Messiah and became a follower of the way. But many more were Jews. I say were, but not were as in past tense. They were, and then they are. They continued to be Jews. They continued, but they faced tremendous scorn within this movement. Jewish-Gentile equality under the New Covenant and a discussion of what this principle implies and doesn't imply for Messianic Judaism. Here, the basis of the equality is stated to be both to be that both were immersed in the same spirit into the same body. God has determined several distinct ministries. This is important. You're going to hear something that maybe applies to you. First, the most important group are the emissaries or apostles, that they're those sent by God to proclaim the gospel and to form new congregations of believers. Who, who is that person? Not necessarily the preacher. Not necessarily the preacher. It's not necessarily the person who stands up and then delivers a message. It could be that person that has been gifted by God and chosen by God to be that, to go and to speak to the churches. Not up here, but down here among them. And that person has a skill set that helps him, him, he or she to drive down to what the issue is and to fix it. Paul Shaul is here dealing with major issues. Some of this stuff really becomes clear in 2 Corinthians. You start to see, well, why is this so jacked up? Why is he back? You know, and you, you realize at a certain point, he's just, he's about to wash his hands of these people. So, so there's that person to proclaim the gospel and form new congregations of believers church planners. God has called some people to church plant. Uh, I've been involved in several major church plants, um, fairly major, and some were rousing success and others were abysmal failures. My goodness, just horrible failures. There are some people that are called for that and are great at that. Second are prophets who speak for God We'll get back to that. Third are teachers to deepen believers' knowledge of God's truth. How many in here have ever had a phenomenal Bible school or Sunday school teacher when they were a kid? You still remember them today? I do. Mrs. West was a little bitty boy. Wow. So good. So good. Limited education. Unbelievable. Unbelievable teacher. Stuff she said even... Obviously, post-brain injury, I still can remember some of it. The back of my book, the, that little West Virginia church, which turns out my mother-in-law, well, she's not really my mother-in-law, but we'll call her that, Granny, Doyle's grandma, might have gone to that church 
I didn't even know that. I had no idea. She looks at it and she says, well, that looks like such and such a church, so and so. And I'm thinking to myself, that sounds just like the church that I picked out. So there's a Sunday school teacher there that she's long since dead now, but she taught for 46 years in that church. And she impacted so many young lives. So many of these people are, have gone on to great, great ministries, worldwide ministries, and are you know, leading tens of thousands of people to Christ. This one little woman with a seventh grade education, just a mountain coal farmer daughter that just believed the gospel, could barely read her Bible, but she, she, she read it and quoted it for all it's worth. Teachers to deepen believers' knowledge of God's truth. Then after these in importance are often those who work miracles and those with gifts of healing. We talked about that a few weeks ago, that, you know, I, I believe in healing. I, I believe in healing. I don't believe it's some big Benny Hinn thing. Uh, you know, I don't. I don't believe the guy. I think you ought to be locked up. But that's okay if you believe him. If you're into that, it's okay. Uh, we'll just put a limit on your credit card so you don't hurt yourself too bad. But, uh, you know, the bottom line is, is, is the healing is not them. The healing's not through people like that. It's quiet. It's understated. It's not trying to seek glory for themselves. Doesn't happen that way. God wouldn't work through that. Two gifts not mentioned specifically in 8 and 10, but I'm going to mention them. The ability to help those in need and skill in administration. How many of you know there are great churches out there that just need a good administrator? Somebody to keep all the stuff, keep all the balls in the air. Somebody's organized. Um, they just know how to make stuff happen. If they don't know how to do it, they know somebody that does. They can get them involved, plug them in, help the people feel great about helping the ministry, helping the church. They compensate them if compensation is due. They, they just really, really keep things together. One of the biggest and, and fastest growing positions uh, in churches now, and especially larger churches, is the administrative pastor. Sometimes they call them the executive pastor. Different names, uh, you know, depends on what they call them. But the fact is, is that's this. And there are only some people who have this skill. Not everybody has it. These seem to cover much the same ground as the four gifts named in Romans 12, 8. Counseling, giving, doing acts of mercy, and leading. But exercise of those gifts would be manifestly, manifestly improved if one also had the charismata listed above that are not mentioned here. Wisdom, knowledge, faith, and discernment of spirits. At the bottom of both of these lists, these lists we put together, the one we did a few weeks ago and this one today we talked about, uh, excuse me, are the two showy charismata that are most easily abused, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And remember we talked about the varieties. Oh, I don't want a big one. There we go. Uh, speaking in different kinds of tongues and interpretation. The Apostle Paul or Shaul minimizes the importance of these two gifts as compared with the others, but at the same time, that he deals with abuses involved in manifesting the gift of tongues, he instructs the Corinthians not to forbid speaking in tongues and wishes that all would speak in tongues, 14.5. Thus, he strikes a balance worthy of imitation, which he talks about in 11.1. In verse 31, uh, and then 14.1, eagerly seek the better gifts, especially prophecy, and yet the best way of all, literally, a way according to excellence, is love. Now, I don't know about you. I'm a simple guy sometimes. You know, where I grew up, it's, who that's Sean Green? He's right simple, isn't he? Right? Sussex County, that means something different. <laughs> you know, that's not a compliment. That boy's right simple, isn't he? Whew, usually accompanied by that. Oh, he is simple, isn't he? But it does look kind of simple, doesn't it? Shauler, the Apostle Paul, drills down to, look, at the bottom of the list is this. 
speaking in tongues, and interpretation. There's a whole bunch of other stuff many would rather see you have before you start worrying too much over that. As a means of personal confession, I don't know that I've ever spoken in tongues. Sometimes with these braces, I think I am speaking in tongues. But, uh, but I will say this, there have been times when I've been praying or worshiping that I go to another place. And I don't know that I say things in another language that I don't know, but uh, people talk about a prayer language, just a language between you and God. I, I believe that absolutely exists. I don't know specifically even what comes out of my mouth sometimes, but I know I'm someplace different. I'm not sitting in the chair anymore. I'm somewhere above all that. I'm somewhere released from the surly bonds of this earth to meet with God somewhere in this vastness of his world. And it's brief. Although there have been times where it felt like a minute and it was six hours. And I'm sweaty and tired and throat's all dry and, of course, hungry, you know. And I think, well, how could it be this time? That's not possible. Yeah, it is possible. Because the Spirit took hold of me in that space and time. And in that space and time, what does God control? Easy answer, everything. One of the things He controls is what He made, and that is time. He can stop time. He can speed time up. He can take segments of time, take it in, put it over here, put puzzle pieces. He can take you back in time. I don't believe for a second there's anything God cannot do. God is not, as I said at the beginning of this, he's not what? He's not in the natural. He is the supernatural. I believe, uh, in Carson's case, I believe God can wholly and completely heal Carson. Uh, I believe God healed Don. I believe God can heal my buddy down in Sussex County. I believe uh, God can heal things when I've seen it. I've, I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen, I've known people closely and personally, and I know they're solid people. And they were terminally ill, verified by three different doctors. Look, you know, I, I'm glad you're praying, but you need to get your stuff together. And don't buy any green bananas. Literally. You're not going to be long. You're a doctor. You've probably experienced this. Uh, you know, I've known these people personally and closely. And then something happened. They didn't make a big fanfare. They didn't make a big expression of faith. There wasn't some big, but there was something between them and God that God chose to heal them. And then they spent the rest of their life praising God. I also know, in the case of Mama Max, I don't know anybody closer to God on this earth than her. I don't know anybody more faithful. I don't know anybody that pours over the Scripture. She was a church secretary for, I don't know, 30 or 40 years, I guess? 30-some 30, 30 years? I don't know anybody that didn't throw herself into Christian service humbly and quietly more than her. I don't know anybody that, that prayed deeper and, and, and more in touch with the Spirit than her. I don't know anybody that worshipped God more fully than her. I don't know anybody that was more obedient than her, and yet she got cancer over and over and over and over, five times. And the last time took her. It was a fairly young woman. I, don't, I, can, I can't understand that. I don't, I don't understand it. I get frustrated and mad with God. I look at Carson's situation. I get frustrated. I say, God, come on. These parents are faithful. These grandparents are faithful. These siblings are faithful. They're praising you. They're lifting you up. They're praising you in the storm. Why can't you just can you find some time to heal him? Can't you find some will to heal him? I don't understand it. Why? Because I live in the natural. God lives in the supernatural. I know people with addictions that are gripping them so powerfully. I know people with mental illness that are otherwise normal people 
that they're so in the grip of it, they can't even see it. And it's ruining their lives. Bridge after bridge after bridge after bridge behind them, gone. Friend after friend after friend says, I can't help you anymore. I know people in addiction right now who are wrecking their lives. Literally wrecking their lives. And they've prayed and they've prayed and they've prayed and they've prayed and people have prayed for them. People have come and gotten them out of the gutter. And for whatever reason, they find their way back to the gutter. They find their way back to the poison. They find their way back to the activity. They find their way back to the hurt habit or hang-up that is killing them. And you look at that and you say, God, why? This person wants help. They've been to rehab 16 times. I know somebody personally. 16 times rehab. I know of someone that their family has spent $1.8 million on trying to rescue their kid. And they've prayed and they've prayed and they've prayed and they've had laying on of hands and all of it. And you say, you know, I know people that say, I can't believe in God that lets a four-year-old, a, a sweet little four-year-old die or get killed. Uh, I, I can't believe in a God that allows this beheading. i got a guy right now who's a worship pastor in one of the churches we planted in Ohio that's at a confrontation of faith. He's saying, man, I don't know, Sean. I, I just don't know if I can keep on with this. You know, I have friends who they're in the world and they're living life happy. They don't wake up on Sunday morning with a bunch of regret. They don't, they don't have to do without a bunch of stuff. They live how they want to live. They do what they want to do. They say what they want to say. They eat what they want to eat. They go where they want to go with whoever they want to go there with and do whatever they want with. They never have regret. They never look back. They, they, they're happy. Guilt-free. Meanwhile, all I'm ever doing is looking at myself saying, I'm not measuring up. I'm not living up to what I'm supposed to do. And, you know, why would God love me? And I've got to measure myself here and all this stuff. And then you see all these things going on in the world, and you think, I pray. I pray. I'm fervent in my prayers. People around the world pray, God, please fix this. The world's a mess. I'm having trouble believing in God because you know what? He's not fixing anything. Why should I believe, Sean? Give me some, give me some hope. And I'd say, do you, you want an easier path? Is that what you're saying you want? Let's be honest. Is that what you're saying you want? It's too hard, Sean. It's too hard. This is too hard. This, this living in faith and following Christ is too hard. It's too hard. My other friends, they, they're not all spun out over this stuff. They don't wake up with guilt. I should just, I'm feeling like God's not hearing my prayers. He's not answering them. He's letting this world get worse and worse and worse. If he's real, he wouldn't allow that, would he? He wouldn't allow young people to get... He wouldn't allow these people to get all these Christian kids. You know, uh, the largest massacre they believe in history, single-day massacre of Boko Haram, they believe there's evidence to indicate com coming out of Africa that uh, over 10,000 in one day are, are beheaded there. Yeah, this past week. Nigeria. Mm -hmm. And he says this to me, and I say to him, you know, what is it you really want? I gave him, you know, a little bit of line to run with. Do you want it easier? Do you want an easier life? Is that what you're asking God to do? Because he didn't promise you that. No, I just want him to fix some stuff. Fix one thing in the world. I said, why do you think things are the way they are? Because he let them get that way. I said, what do we have? What do we have? We have free will, right? Don't we have that? Everybody, shake your head. Right? We have free will. And there was a time where God was saying, listen, you need to keep your eyes on me. The people perish for lack of vision and knowledge. The, now, we know what to do, right? We know what to do. It's not knowledge anymore. It's the vision and, and the behavior to do the right thing. We don't do it. We said, we, God, we don't want you. We don't want you in our schools. 
we don't want now we don't want you in our military the priest the uh chaplains are no longer allowed to say jesus they're allowed to say in jesus name all of these things you know we've we've kicked them out of everywhere and we've replaced them with what no hope the way of the world man the way of the world We've said that Christians are terrorists, yet when you look at the data, you look at Islam over history, you look at Christians, you look at Buddhists, you look at Baha'i, you look at those things, that thing you sent me, and I've seen it circulate around before, you look at all the killings and all the awful things that have been done over the years in the name of Islam, and then you compare all the other religions, and you look at that and you say, man. So I said to this guy, very talented, clearly very talented guy, let's be honest here, is it that you're really looking for an easier path? You're tired of fighting, you need a rest. No, I just, Sean, I want him to fix something, fix one thing, one thing I pray for, fix that. I said, tell me about how you're living your life, is your, is, you know, are, are you actually doing these things or are you talking about doing these things? Because, you know, you know, we all know people that talk about how busy they are, how hard they're working, but then you follow them for a day and you find out they're not working hard. They're working hard at going to the water cooler a lot. They're working hard on smoke breaks. They're working hard on sitting around talking to their friends. They don't hardly do any work, but they talk about the work they do all the time. People say, I say this all the time, people come in the counseling chair and they'll say, I've tried everything. What have you tried? I've tried everything. Okay, let's list it. What all have you tried? And they give me one thing. Well, you clearly haven't tried one thing. I say, what, to this guy, we'll call him Bob. Bob, what all have you tried? Well, I've prayed. Okay. What does God say about prayer? I, I don't know. He says that if we ask in his name, he'll give it to us. I said, do you really understand that passage that it doesn't mean what you think it means? I understand you've probably been taught that for a long time, but that's not doesn't mean what you think it means. Well, I just I just feel like if he cared so much for us, he'd make life better for us. So where's life going to be better? Where's life going to be perfect? In heaven. He handed life here on earth over to us and said, "Here you go. I've given you a book. Do the book. Read the book. Do the book." Things would be a lot better if you do that. If we all were doing that, things would be virtually perfection. But we don't do it. We don't do it. People get kidnapped. People get beheaded. People get tortured. Innocent people get shot in, in uh, you know, not for nothing, but many of the people that were killed were Jews. Don't lose a lot of sleep over this Charlie uh, Hebda business. Because they're the most anti-Semitic, anti-Christian cartoon you've ever seen in your life. Disgusting things. Holocaust deniers, all these things. I don't want them to die in a hail of gunfire. No, absolutely not. I didn't want, want to see that. But the fact is, I'm not crushed over it. Because they put my Jesus in all kinds of disgusting, foul positions in their little cartoon. They said to each Jew... You're liars. This didn't happen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, listen, when that, when that happened there, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't like, woo you got what's coming to you. But I also know that why is it so bad that they're, they're uh, being disrespectful to the prophet Muhammad when they've been disrespectful to Christ since their inception? They've been disrespectful to the Jewish people all around the world, both now and in Decades passed, but now all of a sudden, it's a big deal. Even the 73-year-old uh, cartoonist, one of their chief cartoonists, wasn't there that day. He was on the train of the day of the shooting. He wasn't there because he hates uh, editor, uh, edit meetings. So he just wasn't there. He plans always to miss them. You're 73, you work at a place, you go when you want to go. He said, I guess that saved my life. But what he said was very powerful. He said, you know, I vomit all over all these people around the world who are all of a sudden saying, 
Charlie Hebdo, uh, we're with you. Jesu uh, Hebdo, you know, whatever, whatever they, Charlie, your sweet Charlie, uh, you know, all that stuff. We're with you. Uh, we are, you know, in solidarity. He says, I vomit on you. Where were you before when we were, you know, this by this group or whatever, you know, and I, I looked over some of the cartoons that he drew, and I'm thinking to myself, you're a vile human being. <laughs> you're lucky you weren't there. There's stuff like this now all over. This, this is okay. It's okay to depict Christ in dung, in excrement, in urine. It's okay to do that. In fact, your government dollars helped pay for it through the National Endowment of the Arts. It's okay because that's art. But Islam, we can't do that. Now, I don't want to do that with Islam. I just want to wipe them off the planet. I don't want to draw cartoons talking about wiping off the planet. I just want to wipe them off the planet. And let me share something with you. This is a little secret I'm going to share with only you and whoever downloads this. They're thinking the same about me. The difference is, is they live their life every day committed to bring that about. There's nothing better they'd like to do than chop my fat head off. It's a fact. It's a fact. Things are going to get a It is well with my soul. I wanted I, that impressed me this afternoon. And so I, I sent a request to Steve if he'd be willing to, and he's always so gracious to, to do that. Uh, just that song was so powerful in my mind. It is well with my soul. People say, how do we get through these tough times? I said to my friend, we'll call him Bob. I said, Bob, you know, is it well with your soul? Are you really okay? Are you really living the life that you should? Are you dipping a toe in the Christian world and both feet in the secular world? I said on Saturday nights, Friday and Saturday nights, he's a very successful musician, you travel around in bars and you play till 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning in bars. And you drink with your buddies and your bandmates and all that stuff and then you come home, whatever, and who knows who follows you around to the bars, you know, and the, and the bigger places. He plays, I mean, he plays some pretty serious stuff. And then on Sunday, you come in all bleary-eyed trying to praise God and talk about the power of his name. Well, that's my job, Sean. That's how I make money. God will give you a new way to make money. Or he'll give you a need for less so you don't have to make as much money. God will handle all that. But you can't have one foot here and one foot here. I want the pleasures of the world and I want the blessings of God. I talk all the time about the, the laws of Torah, and all of this. Listen, you know, I happen to believe that it still applies to all of us. You know, uh, Yeshua came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. I, I, just, I just believe what he said. I believe the fullness of what he said. Do I observe all the laws of Torah? No. And I believe one day I will answer for that. Absolutely. I absolutely believe that that's going to be one of the many things on the list that Sean Greener, hope you stand in line behind me because you're going to look good compared to me. That's one of the things I'm going to have to answer for, one of the many, many things. I believe it. I absolutely believe it. But this particular guy, I said to him, I said, you know, we talked about the, the Axe Church. You know how everybody talks so lovingly about the Axe Church. The Axe Church was apparently perfect. Maybe we should do a study on that, and we'll show you how not perfect the Axe Church was. But in the Axe Church, it was this and that and blah, blah, blah. You know what? You've been taught wrong about the Axe Church. I said, if you're using that as your balance, that's it's not correct. He goes, well, what am I supposed to do? I said, change your life. God gave you the template. Change your life. Find a way. Find a will to change your life, and God will change your life. But you're part way in and part way out. God says, I don't need fence sitters. Fence sitters not, need not apply. In Corinthians, we see this group of people in the church of Corinth and and we'll start, we'll start talking about some surrounding things that were going on uh, in the coming weeks. But I'm telling you, stuff was messed up. And they said, we've had this profound experience 
but we, we still want to do this over here. We still want to be this over here. We still want to, and, and let me say, I believe absolutely, God doesn't expect all of us to become monks uh, and, and to go and hide ourselves from the world. No, we're to be a light into the world. Listen, if we're hidden away somewhere behind big walls, the world's not going to see our light. How will they know but through us? At the same time, you know, of the world or in the world? Where are we supposed to be? Of the world or in the world? We live in the world. God put us in the natural. We are in the natural. We've got to live here. There's a balance. And in the Corinthian church, you know, Paul was very, Shaul was very, very practical in the stuff he was saying. You know, remember when I talked about marriage, you know, and, well, you know, if you're going to, then you're going to burn up, you know, then better go on and get married, you know. Or you could be like me, you know. Very practical stuff. I mean, he gave very, very practical things. God gives us practical stuff. All that said to say this, it is well with my soul to right now. I look at the world as it really is. I don't look through the press. I don't look through, I have the ability and contacts to be able to see past all that, all the noise that's fake. Most of the press is fake. It's not real. I'm not saying things they're reporting aren't fake, but what they're saying is designed to guide your thought in your actions and your reactions another way. I'm blessed to have resources where I can see what the real thing that's going on. And I can tell you it's far worse than what we're being told. You know, there's, there's people in Oklahoma that didn't know. These are college people in Oklahoma that were just interviewed at Oklahoma State University. Here's your first clue that didn't know a woman was beheaded this year, well, in 2014, in their own state, didn't know it. Didn't know it. Said, no, come on. Yeah, the guy was shouting, Alu Akbar, he said, convert to Islam or I'm going to kill you. I'm not converting to Islam, I'm a Christian. Grandma, I'm a 56-year-old grandma, I'm not converting to nothing. Get out of here. He did get out of here. He went to his car, he got his big machete, and he started to cut her head off, and he cut her head off right in front of a bunch of people. What you don't know is she wasn't isolated. She wasn't locked in an office. There were people all around screaming. They didn't know what to do. And then he go, after he cuts her head off, off of her body, severs it, lifts it up, shouting to Allah Akbar, goes to another lady, and darn near cuts her head off. The only thing that stopped this guy is a man with a gun. That's it. This person that, this is in Oklahoma, a person at Oklahoma, several people at Oklahoma State University didn't know, had no idea. They were busy playing PS3, I guess, Call of Duty, Candy Crush. I don't know what they were busy doing. I don't know how you can miss it. That's here. This is in our country. There are people at NYU New York University, New York City, didn't know somebody was hatcheted by a Muslim, a raging Muslim. Broad daylight, didn't know it. That's not true, you're making that up. No, it really did happen. And then they showed them the video of it. Huh, I don't know. I didn't know if that's real, I didn't know it. It is real, you're watching. Look, right here, I'll play it again. And then they said, did you know two police officers were killed in Brooklyn, broad daylight, murdered by a Muslim? Did you know that? Nah, it didn't happen. Yeah, it did. It's international news. Nah, it didn't happen. Yeah, Muslims, a Muslim traveled from Baltimore to Philadelphia, or from Baltimore to New York City, and killed two officers, broad daylight. Yes, executed them. Nah, it didn't happen. Yeah, it did happen. Here, you want to see all this right here? Well, if that's true, then there's got to be more to it than that. You're the enlightened. You're the people that know the deal. You're way better informed than 90% of the population out there. 
we're going to fall on much harder times. People have said to me, they sent me lots of messages, you know, on your radio show and on your Sunday thing, why aren't you more of a pastor of hope? Why don't you bring more hope? You're a Debbie Downer. You're a, no offense. You're a Donnie Downer. I didn't want to be a Debbie. No offense to Debbie if she's around the corner, but, you know, I want to be a boy. I'm a boy. I want to be a boy. So you're such a Donnie Downer. You're such a David Downer. You know, and I say to them, I have a lot of positive things to say. I'm, I'm positive Christ is coming again, and I think it's coming soon. I'm positive that he's blessed me with salvation through his blood on the cross and through the vacated borrowed grave. I'm positive that if we trust him, he'll take us through all these horrible things that are coming for us. We talked about Lamech being taken before the flood. Maybe he'll take us before all this stuff happens. I don't know. Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. Maybe we'll be here to struggle through it. Maybe we'll be here to fight through it. Maybe some of us in our neighborhoods are going to be up on our third floor shooting at people as they come down to kill us. Maybe, maybe not. Some of us are going to struggle for food. Some of us are going to freeze in our houses because the fuel supplies are cut off. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know. But I know this. If it's well with your soul, if it's well with your soul, then none of that other stuff matters. You won't spend a lot of time focusing on the whole tongues, no tongues. You'll focus your time on being connected with God, a real relationship with God. You'll focus your time on doing the things He said to do. Work until He comes. That's what He told us. 